everyone, and welcome to the Categorically Romance podcast. My name is Sarah. And I'm Bree. And joining us, an, an OG guest, right? Like, yes. <laughs> one of our first guests. He is yes. back. The one and only Steve Donahue. Welcome back to the podcast, Steve. Hello, everybody. And he's Hello, got Frida. Frida's <laughs> in the background. Yes, indeed. She's on her perch. Tell us how 2021 went for you after we spoke and how 2022 has kicked off so far. 2021 went fantastic for me in a lot of ways. I became, for the first time in 45 years, a weekly book columnist for a newspaper. Okay. That's great. I haven't done that in forever. Forgot how much I loved it. I became the book section editor of a print newspaper, the paid book section editor of a print newspaper, not the arts editor. Just books, two full pages mm-hmm. of books covered. That happened in 2021 and was fantastic. I, and I also beat my personal record for the number of books read in one year. I read more books in 2021 than any other year of my life. And it was fantastic. So it was a very, very good year. <laughs> it wasn't it was the oddest thing. I don't know if the two of you have ever had this. My numbers, my stats mm-hmm. for reading in 2021 were better than they ever have been. But it wasn't a standout year in terms of enjoyment. Yeah. I had enjoyable reads, lots of them, but it wasn't. So You know how some years you just finish it up and think, boy, oh boy, I could not do wrong in that year. Yeah, yeah. This wasn't one of those years. Mm-hmm. No. I don't know if that's just that I was hitting a, a bunch of books that ended up being lackluster or if maybe it's a, a holdover from the fact that there was a deadly armed insurrection to overthrow my government. <laughs> maybe it was that. I don't know. Maybe that had some sort of influence on my, my reading. I don't know. It was, an, it was an okay. It was it was a good year. It wasn't one of my best years for numbers. But I felt like, because of course you know me, spreadsheet stats, all the whole nine yards. My average star rating was just under four stars. So I yeah. had good reads this year. I, it was definitely quality over quantity this year, or in 2021, which was good. You'll notice my uh, heroic restraint there. I was about <laughs> to say, well, the technology I use to look back on my year is called memory. <laughs> you <laughs> kids, get off my lawn. But I didn't say that. <laughs> I didn't. <laughs> I exercised. I want to ask, you're among friends, Steve, are you, because I know you've never done it, are you willing to share the number of books you read last year? It's a yeah. Well, what was the personal I'm, goal? What was the yeah. personal number? It doesn't matter because that's all you do. That's your job. That's that all I do, head but head it head. doesn't. It isn't believable. Let's just put it this way for you history buffs out there. I have now entered into the reign of King Edward the <laughs> First. In terms of numbers, let's just put it that way. I have entered the reign. Seriously, googling it right now. <laughs> I, I don't even know how to say the numbers because it's not believable. And I'm yeah. not, the last thing I'm doing is bragging about it, mm-hmm. you know, especially given the fact that 2021 was not really a standout year in terms of enjoyment. Whereas I have a very good friend who read, he keeps track of it, same as you do on graphs and charts. He read 61 books in 2021, but he had a fantastic reading year. Virtually every one of them was one of those things that just yeah. makes lights go off in your head. Yeah. So I'm certainly not bragging. <laughs> it's just yeah. the thing I have to do. <laughs> That's all. Yeah. It, it, I have to, I have to, I review a lot. So, and I, mm. and I don't. Okay. So let, let, let's talk about this. Let's talk about this. Cause y'all are both, I have so many thoughts. Y'all are both YouTubers and on YouTube in the bookish community there, especially in, in the romance side of it, romance readers read voraciously. So we're used to seeing people that read a ton, Yeah. but I also feel like sometimes it's about reading a ton not necessarily just reading a bunch of really good books and I know that I have fallen into that trap and I'm trying to do better about that so when you want to read more just because you want to read more how did you beat that goal surpass that goal whatever you did in 2021 like because that is something people want to read more how did you manage to do it because I I don't think you do like audio and and all the things you're reading all of these books like i don't read just for numbers i had an email from uh, a longtime viewer of my booktube channel who she watches religiously her husband sometimes comes in and out of the room and says oh that guy again (laughs) that sort of thing (laughs) and uh he meant i mentioned at one point in the video that i'd beaten a personal record for 2021 and he happened to be in the room and made a comment ah he's just saying that to make everybody impressed and she was my first defender she said he won't even tell us the number and believe me just watch his channel and ask yourself is this guy reading to impress others or does he have <laughs> <laughs> uh, and do you do a lot of rereading throughout the year steve periodically yeah it gets crowded out with work 
it gets it gets crowded out with work. Like for instance, I in 2021 I did barely any of the uh, the really shameless rereading, the rereading mm-hmm. where I know the book by heart anyway, and I'm rereading mm-hmm. it. Just I did a lot less of that. I did rereading of like novels I hadn't read in 30 years, or didn't literally literally remember all the details. 2021, I had so much other reading to do that it sort of crowded out the Fellowship mm-hmm. of the Ring or Dracula or, or, the, or the Jungle Books or anything like that. It really became indefensible mm-hmm. to okay. do that kind of rereading. So when you when you get a book in, do you make a, like, a, a note? This book comes out in May, post, oh, yes. or, you know, need to do a review yeah, in make, like April. Like, how do you keep track? I have a, a stack of uh, January releases each one with a little tab coming out of it saying the date and then a stack of February releases and then a stack of March releases. Okay. So I can, I can look, literally I can glance across the room and see a large part of what's coming. Of course, since the pandemic, I also have to balance ebook releases. I, I have a lot of, of e-galleys that are, I'm never going to get a printed book of them. I have to keep track of those as well. Uh, and those change all the time. Even the printed books change all the time. Whereas that never was true before the pandemic. Once in a blue moon. Now it happens all the time. So, but I do keep track, yeah, because I have right. I have many hats to wear. Want to mm-hmm. get a lot of it reviewed. Want to get a, I want to be a lot more active on Goodreads this year than I ever was mm-hmm. before. Really want to do that. <laughs> but you two are active on Goodreads, yes? Oh, very active. But the one thing I really want to be more conscientious about doing this year is to actually review. You know, I do. I know I give star ratings, but that's because that's just kind of it's across. It's what everybody else does. It's what Goodreads yeah. forces you to do. Right. But I really would like to be like actually sit and write some reviews, like really try and hone that craft of writing good reviews because Steve, I just the don't. the editor wants to pounce here. <laughs> if you, <laughs> if you, if you want a venue for those reviews, you just let me know. <laughs> I will. Well, let, well that, but that's it's it. Practice makes perfect. Right. So the more of oh, them yeah. that I do, the better I will, you know, hopefully get at it. That's the goal. So instead of just finishing the book closing it and going to the next book stop and think about the book what did i just read you know i can hear my 10th grade english teacher going that's what i was saying (laughs) (laughs) i have an old friend in the reviewing world i once said to him practice makes perfect and his immediate response was then how come you're still writing the same jokes you wrote in 1965 (laughs) (laughs) we're not friends anymore But what about the uh, the podcast? Does the podcast have a separate entity of its own on Goodreads? No, no, no we do no. not. No, no, no. But the yeah, two of you pay attention to Goodreads. You pay attention. You have friends. You know what your friends are reading. You post star reviews, that sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah well, our thing, I think, is really just well because we both love backlist, but of course, in the world of category, there's always something new it, coming the out. Turnover is so fast. <laughs> so, yes. yeah, it's just you know we get to what we can get to. Yeah, it's exactly month. the way that I feel. It's yeah. exactly that's exactly the way that I feel. You're, it's not anyone telling you to do it. It's that they, mm-hmm. they've got all these new releases coming out. You feel like, well, backlist has to be the thing to take the hit. Otherwise, yeah. there simply aren't enough hours in the day that's to right. handle all the stuff that's coming out. But then I will get in these moods where I'm like, I don't want to read anything new right now. Right, right. Every once in a while, I think that's good. I think that recharges you as a reader. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just, I think if you're, if like, I would say probably it's safe to say that the three of us are largely caught up in new releases, mm-hmm. in, in releases for whatever calendar year we're in. And the more yeah. you are caught up in that, the more you annex time away from backlist. Mm-hmm. You, don't, you don't do quite as much of that. I'm the same way, <laughs> exact same way. <laughs> but surely if we're talking about the new year, that's a segue to books that we're looking forward to. Yeah, yes. Tell us, Steve. I've what are you? I've made a little list here. And I, I have a lot of thoughts as well. I have a lot of questions because you two are stars. You're interviewing authors left, right, and center. So I, I feel like I should be asking you questions. Can I, can I start off with a question? Of course. It's your show. We're just here. <laughs> 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 I have so many people who watch my booktube channel who say, please don't start a podcast because you're already four hours of my day. <laughs> please don't do any more than that. I and think we- you should definitely start a podcast. Oh, just one, one wonderful viewer of mine, she's been we've been corresponding for years. Since she's been watching my channel for years. And she says, she routinely tells me that it, my marriage is already on the rocks because of you. Please don't, please don't take <laughs> more of my time. And, and I, I, years ago, I said to her, you almost make it sound like what you're saying is I'm more interesting than your husband. And she said, <laughs> Can we change the subject? <laughs> Let's change the subject. 
Well, shout out to her. I <laughs> have a question for the two of you uh, okay. to start off. Once every month in the year of 2022, once every month of that year, both Nora Roberts and Daniel Steele are having a new novel come out. They will both have 12 new novels in 2022. And what I want to know is, do people like institutions like that pop up on your radar? I don't think I've ever heard you one of you talk about Daniel Steele and only barely Nora Roberts. We've talked Danielle. Well, we've talked both just in the sense of like a lot of the authors that we talk to. Their Got first their romance was a was a Nora right. Roberts. Danielle yeah, yeah, Steele yeah. was huge, and, and that like well, really took me by yeah. surprise. Like uh, we hear a lot of Danielle Steele. Yeah. I she I mean Nora Roberts. I do have some novels by my first Same. Nora Roberts that I read. I wasn't really a fan of, and I think it just left like you know I was like not really that excited to go pick up something else. But I've been hauling her stuff because she has some old stuff that sounds really really good danielle still i've hauled a couple of novels but i didn't really know where how do you categorize danielle Steele? because at this point yeah. she writes a little bit of everything so yeah i see the stuff that's coming out by them it's just like they push stuff out so fast yeah that's you have to wonder how good is it like not yes. that it's not good but you know what i mean like oh no yeah you have to no that's right you have to wonder how good it is that, yeah. I think that's completely fair. I think if you're a novelist and you're writing a book every other month, you're inviting that question. You can't yeah, no. call that unfair. If you're yeah. the, if you're Danielle Steele, you can't say that's an unfair thing for someone to ask. Yes. Yeah. Right? That, that's just natural. I mean, that would be a natural question even if she were writing one book a year. Yeah. But she writes five books a year. So, yeah. <laughs> you know, well, that was Brie and, I have, Brie and I have had the conversation about uh, Debbie Maycomer. That's what I was that thinking when he some, asked the question. Some of our some of our recent reads by her have not been Debbie Maycomber that we know and love. No. And is it being ghostwritten is a well, question. Yes. The question that has dogged, not so much Nora Roberts, because Nora Roberts will tear your throat out if you suggest that. Yeah. <laughs> people, people have been suggesting that for years, that, mm. that her books are written by a daughter or a niece or someone who mm. is being groomed to take over, because mm. I think she's 112, something like that. Yeah. <laughs> Mostly cyborg. <laughs> so, so I, I don't know. People have been saying that for years. I have a, a very cynical old friend who said he has always described Daniel Steele's talent as that she can pick any historical epic or event anywhere in human history and badly misunderstand it. <laughs> no. and his contention has always been she's not being ghostwritten because there can't be two people this bad. <laughs> <laughs> okay, have you read have you read a Danielle Steele? Do you have I've read many, yeah. I started okay, what, out reading what's her, your fame? You might have seen her in old vintage bookshops a long, long time ago, a million years ago, when she sure first started out, her novels were mass market paperbacks that were designed as romances. They looked just like romances. Okay. I can you remember is it Broken Promises? One of her very earliest books I read and thought it had, you know, it was a little bit light in the loafers, but I thought it had it had some <laughs> stuff to it. I think the moment for me when she became a parody uh, is when she did a Titanic book. <laughs> then I thought, this is a little too close to home. You have other things to do if you're writing a book on the Titanic. You have other things to do. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Then, then uh, it just... <laughs> I'm sorry, guys. The Titanic just does not need to be... It doesn't need a book. <laughs> well, no, you have to be very careful. If you're going to try and write a romance around serious historical events, you have to be more careful than she was in that book. It always reminds me of uh, that the big Hollywood epic Pearl Harbor. Uh, yes. With Ben Affleck. With ben Affleck. Yeah. Uh, was it Liv Tyler who was the... Liv Tyler, the, yeah. The love interest there. Was, she was his love interest in Armageddon. I don't know who the, the woman was in uh, in Pearl Harbor. But there was a scene, there's a moment in Pearl Harbor that critics just had a field day with. <laughs> she's, she's talking with the love of her life, who is um, actor Josh Hartnett, I think. Mm -hmm. and oh, she's yeah. This emotional moment. And she says, well, you know, that I, I pledged my heart and it was all pure romance until, you know, all of this happened. And <laughs> she's practically gesturing at the USS Arizona smoldering in the background. And critics just jumped all over that saying, this is why you don't put a romance in Pearl Harbor. Because <laughs> yeah, somewhere along the line, some character is going to have to say something dumb, like, well, you know, things were going great until, you know, the this happened. <laughs> I mean, what, okay, so since we're talking movies, did you think, Think back to when Titanic, the movie, came out. Titanic. And then think about us now. Do you think that we needed a movie version of the Titanic? Well, parts of Titanic moved me right down to my soul when I saw it in the theater. Mm -hmm. Parts of it are unbelievably well. For me, 
the thing that did it was the very last moment of the movie. I liked a lot of the rest of it, but for me, the thing that did it is when the submersible camera is rolling through the mossy, submerged Titanic, and then suddenly sunlight starts entering in, and the moss starts disappearing, and suddenly we're in the ship, mm-hmm. yeah. as it was in its heyday, and we round the corner into the Grand Salon, and the love of her life is waiting there. The captain mm-hmm. is still alive. Her mother is still there. The band is ready, and mm-hmm. she meets him. Remember, in the movie, they have a plan to meet at the ornate clock in the Grand yeah. Salon. They don't because the, all of this happens. <laughs> in, in her dream at the end, she does yeah. meet. And yeah. there's no disapproval. In fact, the captain leads everyone in applauding them. Yeah. That moment really, really got to me. Especially yeah. since, I don't know if it's just the Irish Catholic in me, but I was I assumed when I watched that that she was dead. That Rose mm-hmm. had died and was yes. dreaming her perfect afterlife, yeah. the perfect moment yeah. of her life. I had all sorts of friends tell me, no, that's just South Boston. <laughs> that's how somebody from <laughs> South Boston would think about it. But really, she just has this dream all the time. The, her natural mm-hmm. waking, living dream is that she, her life took a completely different path. But mm-hmm. I thought that moment was amazing. And of course, there, there are two moments in the movie that visually reconstruct what happened to the Titanic, right? We get the computer simulation at the beginning and then we get the real life thing as it's happening and both of those i thought were amazing just amazing and when i thought back on it i thought well you know the movie that i would have wanted to watch would be young rose getting off in new york with the clothes on her back a husband who thinks Mm -hmm. she's dead and the world's most precious gem in her pocket that she wouldn't sell for anything in the world how did she end up happily married and a success in america that's a story i want to watch not not the story of the the titanic or anything like that (laughs) <laughs> and the movie lets the captain of the Titanic off the hook, too. I mean, because mm-hmm. he was told he had those warnings about ice fields ahead, but he wanted to break a record. Yeah, yeah. He was planning on retiring and wanted to break a record. He wanted to break a speed record. He used speed and a lack of caution during that voyage that he'd never seen, never used anywhere else in his career. And it was the one time when it mattered. <laughs> they let him yeah. off the hook. They, they they just they portray him as a sort of a doomed hero who goes down with the ship. The time that I was watching it, I was as usual uh, hanging out with a group of muscular teenagers, uh, and one when I told one of them how much how impressive I thought a lot of it was, he his response was, "Dude, can you imagine if something like that really happened?" <laughs> oh no! I said, "Yeah, I actually can imagine something like that." Imagine that, really that yeah. <laughs> Uh, there, I have, let's see, I have three books on here that I've read already that are 2022 releases that are forthcoming. Uh, one, and again, I have questions for the two of you. Like Mm -hmm. one that I read is The Family You Make by Jill Chavez, which is the first book in a new series. And I'm wondering what the two of you think of her. Have you talked to her? Have you interviewed her? We interviewed her. her. She was our New Year's Day episode. Yeah. We love Jill. We love Jill. We've interviewed her twice. She's hugely popular on BookTube. Very There's nobody on BookTube that doesn't love her. So my question for the two of you is, when you get an author like this, that you know already you love their writing style, you love what they do, what is it, how do you approach the first book in a series? This is the first book in a series called Sunrise Cove. Does it matter to you? Do you you look for them doing something new? Or are you just, you're sure you're going to like it anyway? Well, honestly, yeah, we we thought it was part of her Wildstone series. We thought it was part of the Wildstone series. (laughs) Because, I mean, the cover, I mean, they're not really doing anything different with her covers. If you see, if you took Jill Shalvis off, you know, the title, we'd know, oh, that's Jill Shalvis. And we just assumed it's part of this series that she already has going on. And she's like, no, it's part of this new series. And it takes place in Lake Tahoe, where she's from, or Lake Tahoe, Mm. where she's from. She's Lake Tahoe, yeah. But, yeah, I mean, she has her... I feel like she's created her own lane. She's like, she's straddling that line of women's fiction and rom-com. Yes. And she just does it so well. She does it so well. So I think that's what I go to her for. Okay. So you talk to her. Mm -hmm. Yep. All right. So the next one that I've read is Lindsay Sands. Have you talked to her? Her super sexy Highlanders. She has a new one called Highlander, Highland Wolf, part of the Highland Bride (laughs) series. <laughs> uh, I read. I, in a doom like Highland romances. I just Highlander romances just they just don't work on me. I don't know why that is. But they just do they tell, just, do tell. Highland romances are a pretty big deal. Why don't you enjoy them? And her Lindsay Sands may, has made a little career out of doing Highlander romances in which there's not a stitch of clothing on the cover. <laughs> Doesn't <laughs> Lindsay Sands, isn't she one of is she like a paranormal? She also does the vampires, the Argonaut vampires. She does vampires, vampires yes. The, her yeah. vampire novels also have not a stitch of clothing on the cover. <laughs> well, they're vampires, so it's okay. 
But are you are you fond of Highlander novels? Well, are you including Outlander? Because Outlander's the the be all end all for me. Okay, but uh, that's the, always the, the popularity of the Highlander subgenre predates Outlander. I know, I know. Is it that but all I, of you are secretly in love with Adrian Paul from the TV show? Is that it? And you just uh, <laughs> that, that's why the Highlander novels are so popular that. I didn't get it in this book at all. I didn't. I didn't understand why the hero was special. Okay. Okay. And I, you know, I, Regency romance authors will, will give you. They'll give you a lord. They'll give you a, a you know a guy with a title of the state. But they always go out of their way to show you why. In addition to that, he's special. Yeah. But with Highlander novels, I've never got that. And I didn't get. I knew. I read it, and I knew perfectly well that Lindsay that Lindsay uh, Sands knows what she's doing. But it just it didn't work on me at all. <laughs> at all. And then the other one that I read was uh, Scorched by J.D. Enright, by J.D. Light, uh, which is, okay. uh, I'm pretty sure that's a Kindle author, so you you won't, okay. you might not know about it at all. Uh, and I'm, I think also it's for the gays. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> and it, it wasn't, it wasn't particularly good. So the three that I read weren't good. But there, okay. there are three that are on my radar that I'm wondering if they're on your radar as well. Uh, the first one is, is uh, called Tough Justice by T. Fallon. It's the first book on something called the Canine Special Ops. And here's a, a, a sad case where we're on a podcast because the cover, hoo-hoo, uh, <laughs> the cover of this book is worth looking at. The cover drew my attention and I went, hello there, I'm happy to read you. And then I looked at it a little closer and thought, oh, wait a minute, forget about him. Look at that dog. He's so yeah, <laughs> Because it's this huge hunk and a dog on the cover, and the dog is uh, far more attractive. Who is it by? It's by T. Fallon. Her name is T. T E E. Okay, T. Fallon. I don't, I don't know when it comes out, but it raised a question with me because of its okay. cover uh, about where the two of you stand on cover buys. Oh, uh, I'm a whore for that. Honestly, I'm like cute cover. Yes, please. I don't even look see what it's about. I'll be honest. I'll be honest. I will hunt out certain editions of books because of the cover. <laughs> yeah. There are books that I think I want every different cover of. Like, I want all the Rebecca's by Daphne du Maurier. Especially really? the ones over in the UK. They're just gorgeous. But then wow. I love the old... Ma I have one from Avon, and it's like old mass market that's just like brown and nothing really special. But I love it. I don't, I don't know. Is I don't there a Morgan I, book? Most, I go and get the UK covers of them because yeah. they're gorgeous. But most of the covers that I... Like those old Mary, they had Mary Stewart had some mass markets that like were nothing really to look at. But I no. just I loved them. Yeah, <laughs> I loved them. So. She deserves to be rediscovered. Mm -hmm. She really does. Way too many people only know her from her Arthurian books. Oh yeah, and her like, other stuff is on. much better. Although, so I, I, I think I'm a little problem? bit of both. I love can cringy I... covers, but give me a pretty <laughs> cover too. <laughs> so tell us about you. What? How? Where do you stand on cover? Yeah. Well, not cover by. Because I'm a pampered reviewer, so I don't buy anything. Yeah. <laughs> the idea of buying a book is horrifying to me. But but it'll definitely definitely get my interest. And I'm not just talking about himbos and tight t-shirts. I'm talking about if someone's taken care to design their cover well. Yes. Right. I, I just mentioned on my channel the other day a post-apocalyptic novel, self-published, where the person obviously paid attention to their cover. It was very, very well done. That will work for me, at least to get my interest. I don't think there's anything inherently wrong with that either mm -hmm. uh, i mean the book still has to sing for its supper but if i don't think there's i don't think i have anything to apologize for for liking the cover <laughs> certainly tough justice has a likable cover <laughs> on a couple of different levels well i think like that's where we kind of get spoiled in the world of category because looking at the, the cover is so much part of the package right? right like i mean presents you can look at a cover and you could tell there's probably a secret baby because she's pregnant yeah. on the cover. <laughs> so then I'm thinking like, um, let me think. Like when we had um, the Talia Hibbert that came out. What, Get yes. a Life, Chloe Brown. Huge yes. romance. And wonderful. But it's like, did the cover do, do it justice? justice? And I feel like in a way it did. People saw this cute cover and they bought it. That's the goal, right? You want people to spend their money in to buy the book. But also like if you went into it thinking it was sweet... And then you get into it and you're like, oh no, this is definitely spicy. Yeah. You know, like I've had conversations at Barnes and Noble. Where I'm like, hey, this is not a young adult romance. Can you the take it out of the YA section and put it with adult romances? I think covers are always being talked about in the, the world of romance. Absolutely. Absolutely. And where do the two of you stand on uh, category romance seems absolutely permanently in love with photo covers. Mm -hmm. That all right with, with the two of you? 
doesn't bother me. And they weren't always. Well, they um, weren't always. They used to do paintings. They weren't very good paintings, but they were, now it's universally photos. I wonder yeah, why yeah. that is. Do you know why that is? I, I wish our goal is to no, talk we to should somebody ask. from the art department. We I want to talk to the art department. Oh, yeah. Get somebody from the because art department, from Harlequin's talking art department. To, talking to authors and how they've told us how they fill out like this art sheet for like how they want the... We were just talking to um, Amanda, say her last name for me, Brie, I never can. Chinelli. Chinelli. She writes Presents. And she said that they nailed it on her newest book. Like, she said she wanted this guy who looked like this in a trench coat oh, no in kidding. Japan. And, I mean, she said it's her favorite cover ever. So, you know, for us to hear that, that Harlequin is just knocking it out of the park with what the author well, I agree. Their, their photo covers are great. I just oh, wonder. gorgeous. I I don't know I don't know how successful it would be if you got somebody from the art department. Authors have to talk to to interviewers. Yeah, a person from the art department it might be a disastrous interview. Like, <laughs> to say, but you're looking at down and you're, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> Authors have to be charismatic nowadays. But the guy, somebody somebody from the art department doesn't have to be. Yeah, but I, I let, what about Eloisa James, the great Aww, Eloisa James? I like yeah, I really beautiful. like Eloisa. Yeah. Yes. The, the next book in her would-be Wallflower series mm-hmm. uh, is coming out soon. Uh, and I wonder what you, the, she's a complete success, right? I mean, she, mm-hmm. oh, yeah. great, the great covers, the great concepts for series. Some series, I don't know, do you sometimes get the sense that someone is making a series out of something that where it, it really isn't a strong enough skeleton to hold a series on? Sometimes, you, yeah. You come up with a bad idea for a series. Yeah. Yeah, Eloisa James has a million series to her name. She never does that. She, it, she clearly thinks mm-hmm. well about what's going to make a good what what kind of skeleton is going to hold the weight of a series. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so, and the but, last book that I read by her, which is part of this series, I think I I haven't read whatever came out last, but the one that came out before that one. Anyway, she na- she nailed the romance in the story. There were like these gentle hand jet like hand touches and yes the conversations yes. amongst the characters and I, I i had the opportunity to like to chat with her and i told her i'm like you remembered the romance you made yes. it romantic and she that's what i love thing. about her no that's yeah. the, you're you put it exactly right so many romance authors actually don't do that they mm-hmm. don't remember a friend of mine said uh one time we went to this this literary party or something or other i hated going but i went and there was a couple that were all over each other hands rubbing shoulders kisses on necks uh, never taking their eyes off each other never stay never straying from each other and there were there was another a, a man and woman in the same room who weren't doing any of that and afterwards my friend said well yeah the, the couple that was all over each other they're not more than a week away from filing divorce papers but did you yes. notice those two did you notice how the the current of electricity between them, that is romance. And yep. Louisa James never forgets that. She yeah, never yep. forgets those those little things. And a lot of other romance writers, Lindsay Sands, for instance, do forget those things. <laughs> just goes straight for the rodeo, if you know yeah. what I mean. <laughs> well, in that book that you read, was it just so much going on? Like, where do you feel she like missed the mark? I haven't read her yet, but I, I want to read her paranormal stuff. The Highlander stuff, like the I said, I yeah. the same way. The, okay. I've read the, the, her her Highlander stuff and her vampire novels, and it. I'm not meaning to pick on her because it, there are many authors I could say the same thing about. You just happen to yeah. be mentioning her, uh, but if I had to give a reason for why it's not there, it would be a pretty damning reason. It would be that I think there are a lot of people in romance who don't understand romance, <laughs> and I, you know, and I'm not being I'm not picking on the genre because there are a lot of people writing science fiction who don't understand that that wonder, a sense of wonder, yeah, is yeah. a part of the genre. You can't yeah. write it without that. There are plenty that do, and you know, I would say to them, I would say, all right, we've got you've got a successful career as a science fiction author, but there's a big essential part of science fiction that you don't understand. Yeah. I would say the same thing about some some romance or quite a few romance authors. I would say the same thing about them. You've got all the Hollywood stuff down just right. Yeah. But there isn't I, I've lost count of how many modern romance novels I have read where I get all the way to the end and I have never had a single thing in the novel that reminds me of any of the times that I myself have been in love with someone. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 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 Those things seem to be the first thing to go. 
those I, little I those it. little moments yeah those little things oh gosh they go such a long way when an author remembers them yeah, yeah. that's when you finish the book that's what you are still stuck on you're like oh yes. my god yes. when he like touched her hand when they were riding in the carriage i'm thinking of Louisa james still you can't stop thinking about it if we're on the mm. subject of those little things those little moments would would the two of you agree with me that the Bridgerton books are full of that? Oh God, yes, I love. That's one Bridgerton. of the main things I noticed about those books. I don't know that, yeah. we, that we could even tell your listeners what it is we're actually talking about. But you know <laughs> it when you see it. You definitely yeah. know it when you see it. And those yeah. books are full yeah. of them. That's what made me fall yeah. in love with them. Yeah. Is that you don't yeah. need the characters to say anything about their emotions to know what they're feeling for each other. Yeah, that is, that is mm. just terrific when that happens. Whether it happens That's in a book or in a movie. Yeah, it's, it's, it's almost it's, yeah. like there's this expectation of us to like there's a happy ever after in the end. So you just assume that all of those things happen. No, show me. I want you to show me throughout the book yeah. those things. Yeah. I want to believe these people would stay together, and that's right. part yeah. of it. That's yeah. part of it. I mean, talking about Bridgerton, I think one of the biggest scenes that came out. I know it's the show as opposed to the, but whatever. When they're in the portrait gallery together and they're back to back. And their hands just brush. Oh my yes. god! That every Look, love yes. scene can be taken out just for that. You I know? have like, never, I've never watched any of the Pride and Prejudice adaptations, but I've watched those clips of that Kira Knightley one. And when he helps her out of the carriage, and then you see yeah. the camera like just flick to his hand, and it's almost like yes. I can't believe I just helped her out of the carriage. I yeah. cry, and I've never even watched the movie. <laughs> Right. Those are the moments we're talking Wait, about. You never well. watched any cinematic adaptation of Pride and Prejudice? I haven't. I have not watched them. Oh <laughs> Do you have a oh recommendation for which one she should start with? or And I should start with. <laughs> you haven't either? No. <sighs> we haven't. Well, there goes the podcast. <laughs> but we watched uh, an entire YouTube video. Sarah, didn't we watch that YouTube, the Abby Emmons, like when she broke down, like the science oh, of yes. Pride and Prejudice? Yes. I was crying in that. And that's just breaking down the story. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, of course, recommend, uh, oh, my God, what's his name? Uh, the actor from The Kingsman. Mm. Oh. And the, the King's um, Speech. The King's Speech. Call, I'm blanking on his name. He's the most famous Heathcliff of them all. And I'm blanking on his name. Uh uh, uh, well, anyway, that's the one that I'm talking about—the famous one, the the miniseries, okay. the BBC miniseries. Okay, uh, miniseries, miniseries. It's going to drive me nuts. I can't remember his name. That's <laughs> me nuts. Everybody's listening is screaming out his name. Colin right now. Firth. Is it Colin, Colin Firth? Firth? Yes, okay. Colin. Firth. Yes, and I firmly believe I have a little fan theory about that. That Pride and Prejudice is just incandescent, and his perform the moments with Lizzie Bennet and his Mr. Darcy in that production are full of that kind of electricity. And I have a theory as to why. Okay, what's the theory? And that Colin, Colin Firth is not only a gay man, but he's a gay man who's old enough to remember when that was all you could do as a gay okay. man. When it yeah. had to be those little clandestine gestures, that stolen glance, that imperceptible electricity, where, where that was all you could do legally. He's old yeah. enough to remember that. And I think he brings it out. I think he brings that forward in the show. Uh, because, okay. you know, for a large part of Pride and Prejudice, that is kind of a forbidden love. That's it, mm-hmm. yeah. And, and yeah. I think that's I think that's a reason why it, it works. You give me give me a later Pride and Prejudice, a Pride and Prejudice in which right from the beginning, Elizabeth and Darcy are looking at each other like, just show me a broom closet so I can jump your bones. <laughs> that just <laughs> ruins it for me. When, if that's the sense I'm getting from both of them, then that just ruins it for me. Yeah. They are both yeah. caught by surprise. By their the intensity of their attraction, they both are, and you can't have that. You can't have both of those things. <laughs> yeah, is that but your favorite is, Jane Austen? Pride and Prejudice. Oh yeah, okay. yeah, absolutely. Not for any, actually, not for uh, any romance related element at all. Just there's a moment in Pride and Prejudice that I think is one of the greatest moments in literature, where Lizzie Bennet is alone with Darcy's letter. He's not making a passionate case to her about anyone. No one is. She's alone with that letter and her own memories and her mm-hmm. own sense of justice. Where I'm not going to misremember things just because I want to believe one thing. Instead, I am forced to reconsider my position. I am forced yeah. to rethink my previous commitments, my previous ideas. And when she gets, when she's going over that letter over and over again and gets to the point where she says, until this moment, I never knew myself. I was just an Austin slave after that. <laughs> I that, love it. Then you can do anything. If you can do heroine's that. Heroine's journey right there. I mean. Right. Yeah. And, and, and a heroine's journey without 
needing to haul a wicked stepmother on stage or yes. a traumatic injury or anything like that. She's reading a letter <laughs> over and alone, over again. Alone, alone, which feels very yes. hero's journey. The heroes usually, oh, you know, he has to be isolated. So that, right. that's yeah. right. all that's it's so just powerful. The, the inherent so, sexism of most Western storytelling that, uh, that a woman's hero's journey has to be helped by the man. <laughs> that's kind of defeats yeah. the story. <laughs> <laughs> it's not, not really what you want. But for, but for Elizabeth Bennett's, for her journey to be accomplished entirely through reading and mm-hmm. self-reflection, that I just love it. <laughs> I love that yeah. moment. Absolutely love that moment. <laughs> Absolutely. What about Sophie Jordan? Are you both Sophie Jordan fans? Yes. 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 I like Sophie Jordan. I say, yeah. here I am like, I love Sophie Jordan. And I'm like, also, but I don't read a lot of historical romance. <laughs> but whatever the one was that she did that had like the aphrodisiac, like the the girl, the, the heroine takes a love potion, not really knowing it's a love potion, was so hot. And I was like, I'm a fan. I'll read whatever she puts out. <laughs> well, her new one, The Duke Gets Ravished, or The Rake Gets Ravished. Oh. Uh, has, it has, it has two... Uh, to use your word, hot scenes. And <laughs> one of those two hot scenes is, <laughs> is it is amazing. It is the amazing. cover is gorgeous on this. I must say. <laughs> do a lot of authors still start with categories, or do fewer of them start with categories now than ever did? Wasn't it? Wasn't it once upon a time the way into the industry? It used to be, and I think what's changed now is that a lot of authors are like, "This might be the way in." but they're staying there because they're enjoying it. They're not necessarily yeah. saying, oh, I can do better because right. this is better, right? right? You know? I, I've never I heard mean, from an author Robert. of category romances who didn't say they loved it. I've never heard right? a category romance author say, what a grind, or, yep. you know, yeah. or it's a, it's a yep. puppy mill or anything like that. Never. They always I mean, everyone we've it. talked to have always just praised it. How much so they what would it. lure them away? Just a bigger contract? My assumption. I mean, a category romance would never be a best-selling author, right? From what I've learned and kind of pieced together is once upon a time harlequin mills and boone was one of the you know you you didn't have indie publishing once upon a time so it was one of the avenues to get published and but now i mean if you want to write category then yeah it's here but there's also tooly there's also entangle there's lots of like digital first but there's also the the indie world in romance is huge and a lot of aspiring writers are like i want to write my own thing and i prefer to just go this route which indie authors work so hard so yeah I mean, I think that's, I feel like once upon a time it was big, but now it feels bigger. Mm. I yeah. feel like the possibilities yeah. to get in are just. And you do see more authors like Rayanne Thane, Susan Mallory, who are still writing single title. They're writing these big books that everybody runs out to read, but then they're still putting out a special edition novel every now and then. Yeah. You know, which is just fantastic, you know? Yeah. So, they, do they do that because they made all sorts of wonderful connections and don't want to ignore them? Well, we talked to Rand Thane and she said that she she just enjoys it. Yeah. Wow. It's, she's, you know, like my heart in a is way still with, with category. Yeah. In a way with category, it's, you know what I'm saying, but it's, it's like formulaic in a way. You've got a certain page count. You've got a certain word count. You know, you've got to stick within the, this box. So some people might find that difficult, but to an author, it might be like, okay, this is easy. You know, after trying to plot this 400 page book, let me do something easy. Right. You know what I mean? So, or I could see, I could see an author seeing, looking at those strictures and saying, all right, well, this is a challenge. Yeah. How much can I cram in? As somebody that's trying to write one. Oh, it's a challenge. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. When, when aspiring writers say, well, I don't want to write a Shakespearean sonnet because it's so restricting. I always want to say, have you tried it? Yeah. before you dismiss it uh, you know, yeah. are you good at it in order you, you can call it restrictive once you're great at it but, but not yeah. before that yeah. Yeah. <laughs> i have one more new forthcoming release that i want to mention and it's not historical brie it's, it's, okay. it's contemporary it's it and it's also sarah a cowboy romance we <laughs> like cowboys montana <laughs> cowboy promise by jane porter have you two talked to jane porter Oh, uh, we have to. Queen Jane is like nope. one of our. We want her. We need her. She's like on our want to Montana talk to Cowboy list. Promise. This is the fifth book in her Wyatt Brothers series. Yeah. And uh, if we're talking yeah. about cover buys, if I remember correctly, the cover of this volume shows that the fifth Wyatt brother eats too many calzones. <laughs> oh, he's a. Unless I've got the cover wrong. If I'm remembering the cover right, then the my first thought was, oh, so the hero of the novel is a booktuber. <laughs> 
You clicked want to read that on so fast. <laughs> Sarah, I'm just going to say what you typically say. Mom says, I wouldn't kick yeah. him out of the bed for eating crackers. No, I think he's a... <laughs> No, because Jane, so Jane was like a, she's a presents author and she started the Thule publishing. So she's like one of our, our goals. We want Jane on the podcast. No, she talked to her, her yet. Wouldn't she? She do I honestly think she would. I honestly think she would. We just haven't she's, reached out she's yet. She's but... somewhere listening to the podcast going, just message me. Listen, Jane, message us. We're a little intimidated, Jane. Yeah, we are a little intimidated. In 2022, think about the publishing world. Yeah. Any any author who isn't, you know, an a-hole, cough, Jonathan Franzen, cough, <laughs> is, is going to look at something like your podcast and say, sign me up. You, a, a big, wide readership. I mean, I would do a lot more of it myself on my on mm-hmm. my YouTube channel if authors weren't kind of my, my natural enemy <laughs> in the line, <laughs> my, my natural enemy. Like, it always feels weird to have an author on, you know, it, it feels like I'm like, like if you were watching a cartoon and there were a talk show and the host is a great horned owl and he's just having on one mouse after another. Oh, how are you doing? <laughs> you know, I just sitting there saying, oh, I guess, <laughs> I guess I'm fine. <laughs> because I never know if I'm talking to somebody, if their next book, I'm going to have to shred them. <laughs> yeah. So it, it, feels, it feels weird to do, but for you two? Yeah, she would do it in a heartbeat. Where do you? What do you two think about the the device in romance series where you know that every character has to have a romance of their own? You know, so that the first Wyatt brothers novel introduces us to five brothers and somebody who may be an illegitimate brother, and in that yeah. first novel, years ago, you know that they're all going to get romance novels of their own. They're all going to star in their own story. Same thing with Bridges and same thing with a bunch of other things. Does that ever strike you as unrealistic? I mean, the Gold Valley series, Sarah, by Hello. Maisie Yates is there like, I think, the 18th no. book. I just yeah. think readers of romance series in particular, they just want to get cozy and comfortable in one small town or with okay. one family, yep. and they want yep. more books. I feel like in romance, there are more lovers of series than not. Do you think that's safe to say? Like, a standalone is great. I mean, a standalone every now and yeah. again is great. But I think for the most yeah. part, we love when we can get a trilogy. Or Now, some series are entirely too long, and you know that there's going to oh, be God, some yes. duds. But for the most part, I mean, like, Maisie Yates' Gold Valley, for example. I benched through like the first 10 books. Like it was no big deal. Like you just get hooked on it. And is it, to answer your question, is it unrealistic? Absolutely it is. (laughs) But is it also unrealistic that not only does, is there this one hot cowboy, but he's also got five hot cowboy brothers? Yes, that is also unrealistic. Are we going to eat it up like candy? Yes, we are. (laughs) When you read the the first book, like what did I mention? Uh, Well, not Jill Chalvis because she's not really that kind of a th- well no, when you read no. the first book in a series when you're reading it as a reader are you going through it thinking well okay the younger brother just made an appearance when's he get a novel yeah. are you thinking yeah. are yes. you immediately imagining exactly. no, you, you fall in love with those secondary characters and yeah. i know like again going back to gold valley i can't remember what character it is but it's the, one of the girls who rescued the raccoon i was itching for her book because i just fell in love with her as a character and then when her book came out, perfect example, um, the Lakeshore Chronicle series by, was it Susan Wiggs who wrote it? At the mm-hmm. very beginning, you met this 13-year-old girl named Daisy, and you watched her grow up through the series. And readers were itching for that book, for Daisy's book. Uh, you Even know, though she started as a 13-year-old. Yeah, but then eventually, wow. eight books later, she's grown up, and she gets and her she book. Gets and it was just, because we see, talked to with, Susan Wiggs. Yeah. And with with Jill Chavez, she's a little bit different now because her series, her series aren't connected like that. They're in the same small town, but you don't get the same characters. So that's that's what I hesitated with with Jill Chavez. But some characters, some authors, you know, they're starting the series just thinking that way. Yeah, exactly. Because I think if they they do it right, we don't want the side characters to like overshadow the the romance, but they give no. you just enough to where you're like, dang, I really feel bad for this Marine brother that just came back and he's alone. I wonder right. if he'll get a book. And right. the author's yeah. like, yep, three books from now you'll get it. Yeah. <laughs> just the you one wait. problem that I have with, I love, I love old Regency romances, Signet Regency romances from years ago. And the one problem that I have with them is that 
on in so many occasions when I read them. The most interesting romance story in the novel is the one only hinted at by the older characters. <laughs> where, where you've got you've got a, you know an earl who's raising a daughter by himself, and in one scene only, there's a tiny passing mention of the fact that he was so devoted to his late wife that he built a castle for her. And I, I'm, I, then I read the novel. You know, and there, there's a rake and there's a, 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 a chance encounter on a mud puddle and whatnot. And the whole time I'm thinking, he built a castle for her. I want that story. I don't <laughs> want to hear about you two. I want to hear about that story. Yeah, yeah. And you never get it. In those old Regencies, you never get it. That that, yeah. that never happened. Yeah. Although some of those authors, I, I just redid my uh, my old Regency romances since the other day. Had them all out. I pulled them all off shelves and put them on the floor. Frida had no idea what was going on. <laughs> I, I stacked them by author. I thought that was the, the best way to, to organize it was to just put vertical stacks of each author. You know, mm -hmm. figuring that I have hardly any of those old signets that are only by one author. That only one yeah. author wrote only one book. And I was amazed to find uh, that the tallest stack was Mary Balow. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. I was about to ask, like, who was the most, the author you had the most Yeah, yeah. She did a huge amount of work for those yeah. old signet reasons. And she's still going strong, isn't she? Yeah, yeah. she is. She's still yes. alive? Yeah. Mm -hmm. I hope so. So I you could talk to her. her. Book, so. <laughs> you could <can, laughs> have her on the podcast, yes? Well, no, because they would be considered category. What I wouldn't give for your, for, as long as I'm giving advice for your podcast, well, I wouldn't give <laughs> if you could find some of those old signet Regency authors who did write huge numbers of books mm. who are still alive. Yeah. They just, they don't write anymore, but what stories they must have. Oh, my. Yeah. Oh, gosh, yeah. Well, when I become I a host of the podcast, we'll have to talk about that. <laughs> I just read uh, a category romance just a week ago, an old category romance, an old Harlequin Presents from probably mm. 10 or 15 years ago that was incredibly good. It was uh, by Lynn Ray Harris, and okay. it was called Gambling with the Crown, and it was terrific. And I, it telegraphed everything that it was going to do, and mm -hmm. I still loved it because of how well done it was. Such such tough feeling prose. Just, <laughs> just I, I read Gambling with the Crown and thought I read lots and lots of contemporary so-called literary fiction that doesn't control itself like this. Yeah, that's a skill. That's a large amount of skill. Mm -hmm. So, so I'm in a, in a way I'm a category bro. You definitely <laughs> yes, <you> are. are. <laughs> There's only one. What's the name of that young booktuber who my category journey? What's his name? Oh, Aaron. 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 Hi, Aaron. If you're listening, we have totally to have you two on together. It. We have to have you. Two oh, on you should oh. you should do a Zoom with Aaron on your channel, Steve. He's so passionate. About yeah. category, it's just wonderful. But isn't he the only one aside from me? You <laughs> <laughs> can start a club. <laughs> we know we know there are a lot of snobs out there, right? There are a lot of yes. reading snobs out there, and unfortunately, even romance readers sometimes look down on category romances. There's snobbery yep. even within yep. snobbery. Uh -huh. And you, I, when I watch his videos, I think you could be the biggest snob in the world and watch one of these videos. You're at least going to know that this is real. This is a real reading experience. This isn't. Yep. This isn't someone slumming. Yep. This is someone so. who's, who's genuinely found a kind of reading that he loves. Yeah. And oh, that, yeah. that is impregnable to attack. And I, I love that you said that because that's what I feel like his videos are. It's yes. him breaking down the experience of reading the book. And yep. I feel like that is missing a lot on booktube. <laughs> Like, I, I just, so I want to feel like I'm going on that journey with you, you know? Yes, no matter what the book is. Yeah. 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 I, I, I think that's fantastic. And I'm, I'm the only other category bro on booktube and I don't feel <laughs> vulnerable to attack myself. If a literary snob is going to come on my channel and say, well, you like the romance novels, huh? I'm going to respond by saying, how many times have you been published in the Washington Post, Bob? <laughs> you tell me that. If your number's higher than mine, then you can condescend to me. But otherwise, no. <laughs> I feel like Steve should do a response video to Aaron, a hashtag my category journey video of you just reading a category and just going on and just talking one video about that one book. He often makes, I mean, that's the, the effect of his videos, is the same effect yeah. as, as as your podcast. You often make me want to just go out and read the thing. Yeah. But I, I'm such, I'm such a, you know, I'm ready for my close-up, Mr. DeMille. I'm such a pampered thing because I'm a book reviewer. <laughs> when I hear, when I have that feeling, oh, I want to go right out and read that, my first response is, well, who's going to send it to me for free? <laughs> <laughs> and I, I have friends who say, you know, there's this thing called legal tender. 
where you, you <laughs> and the rest of us have to do that. If your, if your first response shouldn't be go peel me a grape. It should be where can I get this? So to the publishers, so like the stack of books that you have, is that all stuff that they reached out to you and you said, yeah, I'm interested in that? Or does stuff just show up and you're like, I really don't have any interest in reading this. Are you reading stuff? Are they sending you stuff that you're interested in? Well, it's it's a third option. Uh, okay. It's okay. definitely not all just requested. But, uh, well, to use Sarah's term, I'm a bit of a whore. <laughs> when, it comes to, when it comes to reading, it yeah. doesn't take much to interest me in something. I, my, my old friend Deb will always tell people, Steve will read anything. <laughs> just put it in front of him and he'll read it. So yeah. mm-hmm. I get plenty of stuff that I don't request. But that doesn't mean I'm not interested in it. It doesn't take much to make me want to at least give it a try. Okay. It's once in a blue moon that I will get something that is just, just. I, I know already what it is. I know already everything that it's going to do. I know it's not going to surprise me. I know it's not written for me. All of that, just the whole check mark, right down the line. If I, if I, well, once in a blue moon, I will get a book like that where I know exactly what you are. I know exactly what you're trying to do. I know why you were written. And none of it interests me. It's all just mm-hmm. boring to me. Usually, the thing that unites those books is that they are cynical, which is the one thing you usually can't say about a romance novel. Usually those come mm-hmm. from the heart. If, if I get a book that I, and I can tell that every single part of its origin story is just cynical, then I, t- <laughs> then I, then I don't want to read it. That I don't want to read it at all. I don't know. What is it about me, though, that publishers don't reach out to me more often because of BookTube? I've virtually never had an author, a, a publisher come to me and say, "What I have heard so many booktubers say, a publisher uh, offered to send me this. Nobody, No publisher ever does that to me. They don't even know I'm on BookTube. Well, I mean, I, when I first found BookTube, it was, and it may still be, I feel like, I feel like it's not, but young adult was so big. And yeah. I feel, I, I didn't, I mean, I didn't, I wasn't getting books either because I wasn't, when I started making videos, I wasn't reading young adult anymore. Yeah. So I was just like, oh, you have to be reading YA to get free stuff. And then I yes. learned that that's not necessarily true. I was like, hey, I want this poetry collection. I do book two. This is, I have 3000 followers. Do you mind sending it to me? This is what I'll do with it. Sure. You know, yeah. so I, I kind of eased myself out of that trap, but still just stuff showing up. You had to be reading YA. I don't know if it's still the same, but that's how this it is felt. a rare case where the the book world is is ahead of the curve. Usually we are the weird misshapen misfits in the corner who aren't <laughs> talking with anybody else. But in this case, in 2006, telling a publicist that you have a large following on YouTube wouldn't have meant anything to them at all. Yeah. And in 2022, it means a lot. It means an absolute yep. lot. It can Absolutely. seal Absolutely. Yep. I mean, and I don't, I mean, I don't even want to say just necessarily YouTube, but I I remember everybody being up in arms about TikTok when they found out TikTokers were making money, book talkers were making money. Everybody's like took a step back a minute. Like, well, I've been doing YouTube for this long, or I've been, I've had a bookstagram since 2007. And it's like, these kids have put books back on the bestsellers list because of a 30 second video. Yeah. Yes. It's changing the game. I'm sorry. I, I just was like, it, it's changed the game. That's yeah. why Mark Richardson and I are working on our synchronized dance moves. <laughs> <laughs> Mark and I are going to take over TikTok. Oh, God. Wait and see. I know you don't believe it, but just you wait and see. Sarah, the day that we have Steve on TikTok, I'm just saying. Oh, can you imagine? Last year, you hit the goal. What's kind of the order? What what's the goal for this year? What do you what do you want your reading to look like? This year? Well, I'm 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 afraid I'm I'm you haven't seen much evidence of it in this podcast, but I'm afraid I am still a guy. <laughs> one of my goals is to beat my numerical record. <laughs> even more books. You just That's can't fair. help it. If you're if even I'm not that much of a convincing guy, but even I have <laughs> that, that has to be part of the goal is that you have to beat the number. You know, and then the number is a person and the person is your rival in high school. <laughs> All the stuff. Uh, but you know, one of my goals is not controllable. I do want to beat my personal best and i am rocketing through books right now so that might happen like any year you want the new year to be full of that those electric experiences yeah yeah electric reading experiences where you just love a book i had that happen a few times in 2021 uh but i'd love to i'd love it if it happened more in 2020 yeah. of course i want more of that in 2022 and of course there's always publishing a book of my own just saying i know we, every year we, 
we need you to we need you to write something <laughs> either well you were you were publishing a collection this year or, or in 2021 weren't you steve yes that was another big thing that happened in 2021 book columnist book section editor and also a short story written under my own name and published in, in, a, in a booktube anthology uh uh, served cold, okay. where, where it was supposed to be cold themed horror stories, and I set mine on the moon. So I wrote science fiction. Nobody puts baby in the corner. <laughs> <laughs> it was tremendously fun to do, and it's done well. It's it, it's done well as an anthology, and it was also weird to think because the last time I was I had a short story published under my own name was in an Australian literary journal, and you should you should see the roll call of the names that shared that table of contents with me, and they all went on to become almost all of them went on to become gigantically famous, and I know that's going to happen with all of these these horror tube writers. They're all good, so they have mm-hmm. careers ahead of them. I'm just hoping that the publishing industry notices volumes like this and thinks mm-hmm. you know. This is legitimate. I might want to send you an email. I might want to figure out if you have a manuscript we could work with you on. A, a legit, like Tor or St. Martin's. I'd like mm-hmm. it if, if they were noticing anthologies like this, because these are people who, you know, they work on writing all the time. They're not the kind of talentless neophytes that often approach you through agents. They, they instead have been devoting that time to learning the craft. That's important, I think. Yeah. Of course, the mother of all ironies was, would be if one of those publishers approached me. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want that to happen. I will. I will refer them to someone else if it does. <laughs> that, that's that, another goal. Would be maybe to collect a bunch of book reviews and self-publish. Uh-huh. Just I, I am infinitely curious about the self-publishing experience, what it's like, the technicalities, all that sort of stuff. It has nothing to do with money. I'm just curious to know about that process. Yeah. That process uh-huh. is unprecedented. In when did this? Years. When did this want of? I mean, because you've been reading and a professional reviewer for a long time when did you say I want to write something of my own I feel like all of us as readers experience that at some point I know Sarah and I talk about this every day you read all these books and you're like why why am I not trying this myself you know I could do that I could do that is is the stereotypical response for people to look at modern art and I often have that feeling when I'm reading some wet wash piece of dumb contemporary fiction i'm thinking i could do better than yeah and you've got a contract for this yeah you've got a contract for this i just i won't name any names but i just read a major new novel that comes out i think at the beginning of february a major author a huge advance probably a contender for every book award that will be on the table for 2022 great just awful the book is just Mm -hmm. awful characters wander in and out of character from chapter to chapter sometimes from paragraph to paragraph and the whole thing literally ends on a dime it just screeches to a halt no resolution of plot lines whole storylines just left hanging like laundry on the line and it it went the thing that i read was an arc which means mm-hmm. that is done. Aside from typos, that is done. That What I got is the end product after an editor has allegedly seen this thing, after it's allegedly gone through rewrites on the part of the author, and it was terrible. Absolutely mm-hmm. terrible. Did you ever think of being an editor? Well, yeah, <laughs> many times. <laughs> many times. And I, I, for a small number of authors behind the scenes from time to time over the years, I have done that function. I have said, okay. I have been, someone has contacted me and said, look, I, I met you last year or at some convention or whatever. It strikes me that you could bake and slice this thing and I have a manuscript that just won't behave. Would you be willing to do this? And okay. so I do that, but it's not my job. Yeah. And it, it is a major publisher's job. Can you, I can't imagine this book is going to come out. And you know, some it's of the, the name, problem, whoever it is, it's probably it's the, the name. name. Yes. But some of the blame yeah. is going to be to my own critical brethren. Because yeah. when this thing comes out, some of those critics are just going to go on autopilot and praise it. Yeah. They're not going to dig into it at all. They're not going to say, well, okay, in chapter two, you've got a straightforward chronological progression, let's say in the Hamptons. And mm-hmm. in chapter two, you have a scene where two of your characters are talking about a third character's drug addiction, and they're having that conversation while they loll around in the pool in the backyard of the big mansion. In chapter three, that pool is still being built. It's just, <laughs> a, mistake. It's just a simple mistake. And it's in yeah. the finished book. It's just amazing to me. Just amazing to me. Or you will go out of your way. You'll have characters exchange what you think is witty dialogue about how one of them is left-handed in chapter two. And in chapter 15, they're right-handed. 
when you made a point. Yeah, yeah. they're throwing a baseball with the right hand. Exactly. Yeah. You know, to, to bring it home to the Categorically Romance podcast, I'll just point out to the, any literary snobs who might be listening, Category Romance authors never do that kind of crap, and they catch it themselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They are thoroughgoing, consummate professionals about the written word. And if, yeah. if you're going to say, oh, no, this is, oh, come on, man, this is postmodern. Don't push your colonializing aspects on my novel. It can be anything it wants. Well, okay, fine. If, it, if your characters don't make any sense, then you're bad at what you're doing. It, it, it's, it's always dust my doilies when literary snobs look down on romance in, in general and especially category romance in particular when they're exonerating and praising to the skies books that aren't anywhere near as good. That just drives me nuts. That's just, it just, that's just snobbery. That's just you're, you're looking at the category and not at the contents. People might say that we're talking about trivialities, but if you don't get that right, how yeah. are you going to build believable suspense on the bigger issues? You're not. Yeah, that's you're right. not paying attention to that. It, it, it's, it drives me nuts that the snobs who say that we're picking on trivialities now and that the bigger, more important issues will be dealt with by these more talented authors. If you were to say to them, well, I've got a car mechanic here. He's not all that good about the the bolts being tightened, but he understands the essence of a car. You wouldn't go to him. <laughs> you wouldn't go to that mechanic in a million years. You'd say, all right, well, you're bad at your job. <laughs> so, yeah. I, had a, I had a friend once years ago who, who wrote murder mysteries, and he said, I, I always used to ask him, well, you know the history of Boston as well as I do. You could write a sweeping Boston epic. Why don't you do that? And he said, the reason I write mystery novels is because if I'm writing a mystery novel, I have to know exactly where the car is at any moment. Yeah. And that's good for me. That's good for my writing. It's good for my writing to know whether or not character X is in this room, in this scene, or if they're somewhere else. And where the rooms are in connection to each other. Could you hear a loud argument from one room to the mm-hmm. next? It's good for me as a writer to know that. Yeah. And his point was very true. The point that he was making with that was if he were to write a big, sprawling epic, critics would let him get away with that sort of thing. Sorry, I'm just obsessing about this book that I just read because it's going to get crazy. <laughs> It's going to get praised more <laughs> times, and it stinks. Just objectively, mechanically, it stinks. Wow! And it's going to get praised purely because of the name. That just drives me nuts. I just have to say, what inspires me so much about you is that you could be doing all these things, but you have always chosen to be a reviewer, and it reminds me of how important reviewers are. I just want to hear you talk about it. Why are why is book reviewing important to you? And and mm-hmm. why do you think it matters? Because you always you're the person that reminds me that this does matter. Because people are going to go spend their money on that crappy book they that are. comes mm-hmm. out in February. And that's sad. So what what do you think is why do you think it's important? Why is it important to you? Well it's a it's a muddied question in the 21st century because we have Goodreads and Amazon, mm-hmm. which are flooded with reviews, at least things that call themselves reviews. So that the the case that I have to make for my own profession boils down to things that nobody in the 21st century wants to hear. The 21st century, especially the social media-fueled 21st century, scorns the idea of expertise. They just scorn that idea. They hate it. If I, can, if I have just encountered something, I know as much about it as I need to know. If I've read one tweet on the subject, I know as much about it as I need to know. It's what psychologists refer to as the Dunning-Kruger effect, where you've just encountered something and therefore you think you know it better than anybody. (laughs) When experts don't feel that way until they've built up the expertise to know their subject. And the defense that I would make of my kind of reviewing is that I've done a huge amount of it. I'm reading as, as the the, reading is a skill, like anything else. If you do a lot of it, you're going to get really good at it. That's not going to have anything to do with your personal taste. What you like and don't like is totally off limits to anybody. You don't have to defend it to anybody and no one can rightfully criticize. But in terms of like, for instance, the two of you, someone would have to be, if the two of you said, well, the, I just, we both read this romance novel together, a new, ro- a new release romance novel, and the plot doesn't hold up. The characters aren't consistent and you don't care whether or not the two main characters fall in love or not. If the two of you give that verdict about a book, you'd have to be crazy not to pay attention to it. Not because of your subscriber count, but because of your expertise. So that's my defense. That's my defense of, re- of reviewing is that if you've, get, if you've got a good reviewer, you're going to be tapping into a large amount of expertise to read the review. You don't have to agree with them. But at least you're going to get a, a thoroughly seasoned reader of that type of thing, mm-hmm. which feels a little bit awkward for me to say since, <laughs> since I just finished saying that some of my well-paid, better-known brethren are going to praise in a month an objective piece of crap. <laughs> so, so I guess it just I guess my my point boils down to the only critic you should pay attention to is me. <laughs> 
<laughs> you have heard it here, friends. Heard it here. That's right. You can't say heard it here first because I say it all the time. <laughs> the risk you run with repetitive egomaniacs is that you, you can't ever say you heard it here first. <laughs> what I mean is you should find a critic you know isn't going to lie to you. Uh, and that will be that will boil down to what I want first and foremost for my readers, which a lot of high profile, higher profile book reviewers don't want. In fact, they say they don't want it. What I want is for my readers to test my recommendations. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Tell me if I, you go read the book and let me know. I'm willing to put it all on the line. If I say that some new novel is great until the 30 page mark and then it falls off a cliff, I want you to test that. And the reason I have the readership that I do, a readership that will follow me no matter where I go, is because they have tested it and proved I have proven right. Yeah. Whereas if you get a major critic who's, you know, section editor is coming to them and saying, look, we've got this new book and they paid seventy thousand dollars for the full color ad in the book section this weekend. So you kind of want you to go easy on it. And you maybe you're on the staff of a journal and your editor comes to you and says, look, I kind of want you to go easy on it. Or uh, the, the standard phrase is there are, the author is a friend of the paper or a mm. friend of the magazine. And that is code for they're my friend. Yeah. I'm going to, I want to give them a good read. Right. Yeah. Exactly. And if you're on the staff and your editor comes to you and says that, well, what are you going to do? Right. Mm-hmm. You've got your kid's tuition to pay for. You've got mm-hmm. dental bills to pay for. You're going to put it all on the line in order to tell your editor, and I'm sorry, but I call I call them yeah, like yeah. I see them. You're, you, are you yeah. going to do that or are you not? And, oh, baby, do you want to get up there? And if you're not <laughs> going to do that, and let's face it, a lot of high-profile reviewers are not in a position to do that. Yeah, We're yeah. happy to get on staff. Staff meant health insurance. Staff meant a regular mm-hmm. paycheck. A lot of them aren't going to do that. They, yeah. I'm sure that you know this, right? I mean, there are plenty of people who cheerlead genre fiction, whether it's science fiction or romance or whatever, because they want the in. They want to keep yeah. getting the ARCs. They want to keep getting yeah. the invites yeah. to conventions. So they'll praise everything. You, yeah. you absolutely cannot trust them because their their priorities are the most. Well, tell everybody, Steve, where they can follow you online. Oh, God. I don't want them to. I don't want them to. <laughs> where can they find you? I'm going to put it in the show notes anyway. So if you don't tell me, we'll just find it. A, a desperate rearguard action all throughout 2021 to stop myself <laughs> from getting to 12,000 subscribers. And it didn't work. So I'm not going to say, oh, hey, you can find me here. <laughs> <laughs> I write I write book reviews regularly for the Martha's Vineyard Gazette. I write book reviews regularly for the Christian Science Monitor and the Washington Post. I write, I am the book section editor of Big Canoe News in Northern Georgia once a month. Full color newspaper. I get two whole pages, and I am also an editor at Open Letters Review, where which is an online literary journal that's on Monday tomorrow. Uh, tomorrow, as I'm as we're recording this, is going to roar back into business of book reviewing. Yay! And I'm also a book columnist for a small newspaper in Iowa, but I don't do book reviews for that column. So, okay. so you can find me all over the place. I'm the Virginia creeper <laughs> of the book world. I don't have one set venue. I, I'm all. I'm kind of all over the place. Uh, and hopefully, one of the places you'll be able to find me is back on this podcast. Yes, yes, yes. Yep. He will be back, listeners. So we should. We'll we'll have him on with Aaron, and we'll call it the Dude Bro Category episode. Yes, <laughs> yes. the category bros. Yeah, the yeah. category bros. Have, have Aaron and I, Aaron and me on together, and we'll just swamp the podcast in testosterone. That's just right. Yeah. Swamp it all over the place in buckets. <laughs> Listeners, make sure you check the show notes. We will have links to how you can keep up with the Steve Donahue, who will be back yes. here on the podcast. Just saying. Yes. And Sarah and I will chat with you in our next episode. Have a good day, everybody. 